All right, we had a lot of stuff to take care of. Matthew said, I hope your message is short. It's not. So everybody stand up just a second, okay? I want you to shake it out. No snoring allowed. If you get sleepy, you can stand up and walk around, yeah? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do while you're standing up and you're getting a little bit of blood pumping, yeah, okay? I'm going to... Byron asked me not to preach a message this morning, so that's not what I'm going to do, okay? He says, I know you can preach a message, but what I want you to do is I want you to search God out for a word for this congregation, okay? So that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to let you know from the beginning that what I'm going to do this morning from beginning to end is a prophetic word over this congregation, okay? So I want, having said that, we all need to pray now, right? Okay, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to hear your heart. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through this earthen vessel, Lord. Lord, that your glory might be revealed in our hearts and through our lives, Lord. For your praise in all the earth is precious to us, Lord. It is precious to us. Speak this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, you can sit down there. I'm going to talk to you about the power of small things. That really is what I think the Word is for us this morning. The power of small things. Arthur Burke taught us years ago that God does much with less... Uh, no, God does much with little, more with less and everything with nothing. The problem is that very few of us want to be nothing. Most of us really want to be something. Especially in the eyes of others. Much of what we order our lives around is our self-image. Psychologists tell us that self-image is not who we are or even what we think we are. But our self-image is what we think other people think we are. So we invest a lot of time in doing things to get people to think we're something. When in fact, God does everything with nothing. You know, if I write out for you on the board, I'm a low-tech guy. I don't have all this prepared for a PowerPoint presentation. But if I were to write one million, I would put a one and a comma and then six zeros over here, right? And that's a lot. You know, I'd like to have a million dollars, wouldn't you? But you know, if one of those little zeros happens to get out of line and run to the front... It becomes less than one. You see what I'm talking about? All it takes is one nothing to get out of place to ruin a lot. So I've got a few things to tell you this morning, generally on that theme. And then I'm going to tell you a Bible story so that maybe some of you will get it. 
And then I'm going to have a few prophetic words for you at the end, okay? But I'm going to start out with Baba Magusu back there. Baba is a term of respect for a father. And I just want you to know that when Mary walked up there on the platform today, the word mother load came to my mind. <laughs> That's an obvious play on words, isn't it? That's the mother load. But you know, the mother load is a term that, that talks about the largest vein of gold. And so I really believe that that child will enrich many nations because she's carrying a mother load. That was just a little tangent. I didn't have anything to do with this other thing. What I want to talk to you about is trusting God and His ability to lead us instead of trusting our ability to find our destinies. It's really good to study Bible doctrine, I think. It's really good to know how sovereign God is. That God's in control. And He's got factored into His formulas of sovereignty my stupidity. That is a great relief to me. That He can get me where I need to go even if I don't know where it is I'm going. Now isn't that wonderful? Because most of us really spend our time groping around in the dark hoping we can blunder into a little bit of God's will. Just a little bit would be great, wouldn't it? It's kind of like Cameron and I have talked for years about the Blind Hog Prophetic Association. You know, there's no, for you guys that aren't from the South, I'm sorry, but, the, you know, Southern is so rich in its linguistic ability to express spiritual concepts. See, a blind, even a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while. You understand what I'm saying? Most of us are like that if we really have the truth about who we are. We're just kind of blundering around in the dark. And every once in a while we root out an acorn or some of us even stumble on a truffle occasionally. You know, and it's really good stuff. You know... Hogs are the only things that can find truffles, and they're the most expensive food in the world. But we really have to be able to trust that God can get us where we need to go. Now, you know how you do that? Another one of the little Arthur Burtisms I want to spring on you this morning. Bloom where you're planted. You can be sent, S-C-E-N-T, where you are. Bloom where you're planted. You can be sent where you are. The fragrance of God right where you are. Let's look for a moment in 1 Kings. I want to talk about Elijah and Elisha for a little bit. This is the Bible story section of the message here. Elijah had a really great day. You know, there was all these prophets of Baal, 
and they went up on Mount uh, Carmel. And you know the story how, you know, he wet down the altar and they danced around their altar trying to get Baal to recognize their sacrifice. And Elijah dumped a bunch of water on his sacrifice and he says, all right, let's see who the real God is. And as soon as Elijah prayed, here comes a bolt of lightning, burns up the offering, the, the altar, and all the water he had poured on the altar got lapped up in the process too, you know. And then they killed all the prophets of Baal. The next day, he wasn't so hot. He was running from his life because this made the Queen Jezebel mad, and so he was hiding out in a cave, feeling pretty sorry for himself. You know, how many of you have noticed that when you have a really good day, you know, a bad day is shortly to come? You know, but you know, both those things are deceitful. Our successes and our failures are both deceivers. So he's up there and the Lord speaks to him. And one of the things that he speaks to him, I'm not going to go too much into the story here. I've only got about 15, 20 minutes, so I'm going to breeze through part of this thing. One of the things that the Lord speaks to him while he's up there feeling sorry for himself, he runs 40 days into the wilderness. He hears the voice of God, the small voice of God, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And the Lord speaks to him and says, one of the things I want you to do on your way to go anoint a king is coming back. You're going to see this guy and his name is Elisha, and I want you to anoint him as your successor. Now, most of us would get real disappointed if the, when the Lord started speaking to us. He says, well, I'm going to tell you the guy that's going to take over your ministry. But that's what happened. And so he takes off, and in 1 Kings 19, verse 19, he's coming back through there, and he says, so he departed from there, uh, this is Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphath, while he was plowing with twelve pairs of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. You see, here was Elisha. He was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen. If you'll, he had to have been part of a pretty big farm operation, if you really take note of that, because if he was in the twelfth team of oxen, that means there were eleven team of oxen out in front of him. And so he had eleven servants out there plowing with their teams of oxen, and he was back here with his twelfth team of oxen bringing up the back. So he was a pretty successful farmer. So he was doing something. That's my point. He was doing something. Many of us want to be called to our destinies while we're sitting doing nothing. That's not the way it happens. Everybody who God called, He called while they were doing something. So Elisha becomes Elijah's servant. And he was a faithful servant for many years, apparently. Then, when Elijah is getting ready to be taken up into heaven, Elisha won't be shaken off. And so he's following this mentor of his around, trying to get as much from him as possible. And at, at the end of his ministry, he says, All right, what do you want me to do for you? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of your spirit. 
And it turns out that he got a double portion of his spirit. I'm really making this story short because I'm going somewhere. Hang on. The Bible records exactly twice as many miracles done by Elisha as were done by Elijah. So he did get a double portion of his spirit. Now, if we flip on over to 2 Kings, looking in um, chapter 4, we see that Elisha now has a servant also. His name is Gehazi. And um, they would travel around on their prophetic circuit, and they went by the house of this Shunammite woman in Second Kings uh, 4.8. It says, Now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunam, where they were, there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned then there to eat food. You see, this woman recognized that there was a prophet going by, and so she did a very small but kind thing. She offered food to the prophet. Must have been a pretty good cook. You know, the... the the Amish have a saying, Chuck. I don't know if you've ever heard this. They say, uh, kissing don't last, but cooking do. You know, ain't nobody's cooking tastes like mama's cooking. And so he kept coming back. And in verse 9 it says, She said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Apparently he started going by there quite often. You know, she started just serving up a little meal to him. Then the next thing, when he came regularly by her house, she said, let's build a room for him. So they built a room for him. Then the prophet got... He was being well taken care of when he was staying overnight there. You know, there were no Hotel Sixes in those days. And you couldn't look it up on the Internet and make your reservations ahead of time with Expedia.com. But they would go by this Shunammite woman's house. But you see, there is a principle. She started with something small, and then it became a habit. When she was serving in something small, so often that it became a habit, it was time to step to the next level of ministry. Many of us want to be launched into ministry without ever having developed servant habits. One of the th principles in the kingdom is you do not want to miss any of the steps on your way to your destiny. You ought to write that one down. I just offered you up a pearl that's worth 20 years of bad experience. So all of a sudden, she had developed a servant's heart in the small things and then grown into a little bit larger thing, providing hospitality, overnight accommodations for this prophet. And the next thing you know, blessing was on her way. He says, what do you want? She didn't even ask for it. But she got a son. She says, now, she was, she was not looking for this. She did not want to be disappointed. How many of us here today are afraid to hope 
for really good things for fear we won't be, that we'll be disappointed when they come our way, right? So this woman did not want to be disappointed. You know, it's, it's like uh, somebody once said to him, he says, I, I'm a, an optimistic pessimist. He says, I believe the worst is coming, but then if anything better than the worst comes along, I'm pleasantly surprised. So this woman, she gets her son, you know, I'm making the story somewhat shorter. Um, so she gets a son, and then one day he's out working in the fields with his dad, and he has an aneurysm and dies. So immediately she sends off, you know, she heads off to, to find the prophet. And when she finds the prophet... Um, and, and she tells the prophet and his servant what's going on with her son. The prophet says, here, take my rod, my staff, here, and you run ahead of me, because by this time, Elisha was old, fat, and bald. Don't make fun of old, fat, bald prophets. A bear might eat you. But that's another story for another day. Anyway, so the servant of Elisha runs on ahead and gets there and lays the staff on the little boy who's dead. Then when Elisha comes, he raises this kid from the dead. Now, the point, the focal point that I want you to get a hold of here is Elisha's servant. He's seeing all this happen. He's seeing twice as many miracles as Elisha's mentor had shown him. But here's Gehazi, and he's seeing these miracles one right after another in the, in the ministry of his mentor, Elisha. He sees a little boy raised from the dead. What a miracle. What a numbskull, this guy. Because in the next chapter, here comes Naaman. You remember the story of Naaman, right? He was the captain of the king's army of Ammon. Okay? Those were the enemies of Israel. He is like a general in the enemy army. And how did he find out there was a prophet in Israel? He was told by a slave, a little girl who was a captive. They had drugged some little girl off captive. And she said, well, there's a prophet over in Israel. He can cure your leprosy. So the king of Ammon sends a letter to the king of Israel. I hope you can follow me. This is disjointed. I told you it wasn't a sermon. Sermons are very clear. They give you three points and a joke and a conclusion. I'm not doing that this morning. I warned you. So he sends the letter back to the king of Israel in, uh, in, uh, in 2 Kings 5. Is, in verse 6 he says, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I've sent Naaman my servant to you, who was really the captain or the general over his army, that you may cure him of leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? See, 
the king of Israel immediately had fear in his heart. He said, this guy's trying to pick a fight with me. And he's trying to make an excuse to go to war and to conquer us. Well, Elisha hears about it. He says, no sweat. Send him over to me. I'll show you who God really is. So Naaman, this very important military guy, shows up over at Elisha's house. Elisha won't even come out to say hey to him. He's not even going in the yard. He won't even come out of the house. He says, ah, just go tell him to dunk seven times in the Jordan River. Well, Naaman gets insulted by this. You know, because Naaman's an important guy. He gets really radically insulted. You know? But his servant says, hey, now look. If he had told you to do some grandiose thing, you wouldn't have been insulted by it, would you? Huh. Is anybody hearing the prophecy there? You know, if the Lord asked you to do a grandiose thing, you wouldn't be insulted by it, would you? Most of us like to think that we would give our lives for the brethren, right? I would love to think that I was heroic enough that if one day I were to see maybe Sarah and Matthew's child playing on the railroad tracks and here comes the train that I would go over there and I would pick the baby up and throw him off the track and get plastered myself, you know, in the process, you know. Those heroic acts. You know, but what about if the Lord just asks you to change somebody's tire or clean somebody's toilet or say a kind word? You see, we would serve the Lord if He called us in an audible voice to be a missionary to the nations. Hey, we really like that. What about talking to the neighbor who throws trash in your yard all the time? You see what I'm saying? So Naaman, he goes and he gets clean. You know, he bathes in the Jordan River. He's clean. He comes. He wants to give Elisha a big reward. Here's Elisha's servant. He's seeing this, and he's offering to give him money. I mean, buku dinero. He's, he's wanting to really make the prophet rich. And he says, no, I don't want a penny of your money. Go on home. You know there's a God in Israel now. You see, Elisha was interested in God's glory. But the servant, Gehazi, was tempted by the offer. And he ran after Naaman and he took some gold. Took some garments. In, ver in chapter 5, verse 20, I want to look just at a key couple of verses here. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, behold, my master has spared Naaman, the Aramean, by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. He was thinking he was going to get gold and garments. But what he got was leprosy. In verse 27... 
when Elisha sees what Gehazi has done, gone after him and then hidden the gold and the garments that he'd taken from Naaman the leper in his house. He says, Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. See, this servant who had seen the power of God wanted to take something, a reward from the hand of man. He thought he was going to get garments and gold and glory. But what he got was leprosy. He had seen the power of God but he was not faithful in the small things. Because I'm telling you, garments and gold and recognition from the hand of man is chump change compared to the favor of God. John 5.44 is a very key scripture if you want to see God's glory. How many of us really want to see God's glory? I'm hungry for it. Man, I'm, I'm addicted to it. There's nothing like it. A moment in His presence, a moment in His manifest glory is worth more than anything this world has to offer us. What is the desire of your heart? The recognition of man or the glory of God? John 5.44 says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? You see, I believe that there's a destiny that God has for each and every one of us in this room today. One of the the basic revelations in my life comes from Ephesians 2.10 where it says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before the foundations of the world were laid, the Lord knew exactly who you would be this day. He would know all of the genetic pool that makes you up as a, as a human being. He would know all of the experiences, the disappointments, and the successes that you've had in your life. He knows everything that has brought you to this day today. And in His foreknowledge... In His predestined will, He has cut out and reserved special things for you to do for His glory that are reserved for you and for no one else. That's what I believe that verse teaches. This has a profound effect on our lives because then, you see, when we see a need, when we... When, when we come in contact with a need, it does not matter how small it is or how large it is, we should all go to the Lord and say, Is that one reserved for me, Daddy? Is that one mine? Why are you showing that to me? 
You see, one of the things that we're going to do while we're in Argentina this summer is we're going to begin to launch a ministry for a children's home for abused and abandoned children. My initial estimates say it's going to take about a million dollars just to build the buildings to do this thing. But over the past 15 years, the Lord has brought into my path so many children that have been sexually and physically and emotionally abused and are being raised in abject poverty that I can no longer say, well, Lord, somebody ought to do something about that. Do I have the resources to meet that need? Absolutely not. But do I believe that God Almighty can use some little redneck from western North Carolina for His glory? Absolutely. Because He is God. And we ain't. That's a big revelation. My question is, if indeed we all do believe that God has a destiny for our lives, that He has a kingdom purpose for our existence, why are so few of us actually walking in it? How many people do you know who can look you dead on in the eye and tell you that they are living the purpose for which God created them? How many people do you know? Stop and think a minute. Can look at you and honestly say, I am doing what God had in His heart for me before I was born. This is it. My God, I can't believe I get to do this stuff. This is so wonderful. Very few of us, actually. I don't think it should be that way. I think an overwhelming majority of you sitting here need to be able to say, this is it. I found it. This is it. Straight ahead. Full speed. Oh, let's go. Colossians has a little thing in it that's really interesting. Colossians 3.22. It says, Slaves. Hmm. Not many of us would want to be classified like that, would we? Slaves, in all things, obey those who... Obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. power of small things. Many of us have asked the question, 
Why is this happening in my life? Why does bad stuff happen to good people? You know, there's a lot of stuff we bring on ourselves. But then there's a lot of circumstances that just overtake you in life, aren't there? Why? What is that about? I believe that the Lord in His wisdom is preparing a generation of people who can reflect His glory on the earth. Everything in my life comes from the Lord, not from the devil. Is that good theology? Well, that's mine. I don't know what yours is. Because I belong to the Lord. Therefore, everything that is in my life serves a divine purpose. If I can hear the Lord, if I can find the Lord, if I can grasp Him every day, groping around in my darkness, and find the Lord in my circumstances then He will be glorified and I will fulfill my destiny in Him. Most of us spend the overwhelming majority of our prayer lives asking God to change circumstances that He sent to change us. That's a controversial piece of theological statement there. How many of us feel sometimes that we're taking one step forward and two back in our lives? You know, cliches don't get... It's like Yogi Berra once said, I love Yogi Berra philosophy. Um, he says, all of my cliches are not original. Not everybody gets Yogi. Well, the way things get to be cliche is there's a grain of truth in them, you know? Taking one step forward and two backwards. Most of us feel like our lives are like that. But for the believer, we should not believe that about our lives. We need to change the way we think so we can change the way we live. In Deuteronomy 8... God is talking to the children of Israel right before they go in to possess the promised land after wasting for 38 years at least in the desert. And in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2 it says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. How did they spend 40 years in the wilderness? It wasn't because even back in those days men hated to ask for directions. You know, it, they, for lack of faith, did not enter in. It was God's plan to take them into the promised land in two years, and they spent 38 years going in circles. But even when they were going in circles, there was a purpose in it. See, this is the wonderful thing about God, that even when I screw up, He's God. Isn't that wonderful? Man, I need that. It says, the way God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that He might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know. 
nor did your fathers know. Don't be surprised if God takes you by a way that no one has ever gone before. Ooh, somebody grabbed that one. Somebody grabbed that one. That He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. You see, we got this concept that we're taking one step forward and two back because we don't see what God's doing. You see, if God takes you into your destiny before your character and your integrity match up with your destiny, your destiny will destroy you. And so it's by His mercy that many of us are not walking in our full destinies. You know, um, there was a big debate about that uh, lady down in Florida. They pulled the feeding tubes on. You know, because doctors take this oath. It's called the Hippocratic Oath. And uh, part of the Hippocratic Oath was first do no harm. You know, the great physician keeps that promise. He does not want to do anything to harm you because His love is set on you. And He earnestly desires to bring you in to the fullness of what He has prepared for you before the foundations of the world were laid. But because we mess around with all of these things and we don't let the circumstances of our life produce in us the character and the integrity that God has so diligently been trying to bring forth in our lives, we wander in circles in the wilderness wondering, why, Lord, why? Why? I don't feel like this is it. Isn't there something else You've got for me? Isn't there something? Lord, I thought You said, I thought You promised me more than this. And it's His mercy. He does not want to destroy us. If He brings you in too quickly, it will destroy you. So we need to learn to let Him have His way. We need to let Him choose the timing and the purposes in our life. And we need to see God every single day of our lives. We need to change the way we think so we can change the way we live. One of the great things that I learned from Mother Teresa of Calcutta was she says this. She says, Every child of God has everything they need every single day to do everything in God's will. But we think, oh Lord, if I just had a master's degree in theology, I could be a good preacher. Now, I'm not against master's degrees in theology. Some of you probably ought to have some of that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, if I just had money enough to buy the bus for the ministry down in Argentina that I really want for $8,000... 
You know, if I just had that $8,000 to buy that bus, then our mission teams could go out more frequently and we could reach more people. You see, that's a mentality of lack. That's a mentality of lack. We need to be faithful with the little because God has given me everything I need to do His perfect will today or else He would be cruel to ask of us things that we can't do. So we need to be faithful in the small. I'm, I'm starting to get to where I'm going to prophesy on you in a second here. Now. Get ready. I've been leading up to it. Let Him choose your inheritance. You see, Elisha wasn't out there trying to become mentored by some prophet. It just sort of happened to him, didn't it? Learn to receive what the Lord sends to you. Most of us miss it. Lord, I pray that You would open our eyes, that we would see You in our daily lives, that You would speak to us, that we could be faithful to You. Now, this is it. This is, this is a huge, big... I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord on this, and then you're going to think, eh, that was too simple. Live to God, not to man. Do not despise the day of small things in your life. Large doors swing on small hinges. The possession of your inheritance and calling hinges on small things, not the grand or publicly visible things in your life. The integrity of obedience in your private life has more to do with your kingdom destiny than anything you do in public. That was it. Lord, help me. I've gone too long. Are we okay? Don't be mad at me. You can get up and go if you want to. I'm going to take about another three, three to five minutes, and then I'm going to be done. I just want to tell you a story about a little man I know this tall. His name is Antonio Vera. He is a little man. I don't even think he's graduated from high school, and he's an apostle. Now, Antonio would get mad at me if I called him that in public. But he ain't here, so I can say anything I want to about him. He was a pastor of a small church in a little town called Pilar, Paraguay. In, uh, I'm sorry, Pilar, Paraguay. Okay? Um, and um, in 1983, there was a terrible flood in Paraguay. And he had a little church, about 75 to 100 people. And um, most of the people in his congregation were small-time ranchers, had a few head of cattle and a little subsistence farm. And they just got wiped out. 
their cows drowned, their houses got washed away, everything got wiped out. And there was an outbreak of disease because of all the rotting animals and things after uh, the flood. And so the Paraguayan government uh, developed um, uh, like a homestead deal. Uh, They had a lot of land over on the Brazilian border that was unsettled in the rainforest. And so they got this thing as a flood relief that they would give people like a 100 acres of land, 40 hectares of land along the Brazilian border, and all they had to do was just go over there and settle it. So Hermano Antonio, he decided that the best thing for these people was to take this land grant that the government was given. And so he went to the government and helped get these things, and it was by lottery. You know, you didn't get to pick where you were going. They just said, well, this parcel's yours and that parcel's yours, and they divided it up. And so he had about 20 people from his church, his best people, the deacons and the elders and his workers and the, you know, the head of the children's department and all this kind of stuff that had been flooded out. And he got land grants for them, and they were off and gone to the, to the rainforest over on the Brazilian border, and he helped get them settled. Now, you see, he was not planning to become an apostle. He was trying to make sure that his people were taken care of and that they could feed their families, trying to help them out. And so he worked tirelessly to get them these little homesteads and get them set up. Well, the problem is, as you see, Antonio had invested faith in Jesus Christ into these people. And so when they got over there, all their new neighbors, who had also been relocated... uh, Some of them got sick, and so Antonio's people went over and prayed for them. And lo and behold, there was an outbreak of healing on the Brazilian border in Paraguay. And so before they knew what was happening, they had about 20 house groups going on these little homesteads. I mean, they didn't even have walls up yet. They just had little thatched roofs on the top of palm tree poles. And they had about 20 things. So they started calling back to Hermano Antonio. Come and help us. We don't know what to do. People are coming. They're getting healed, but we don't know what to do with them. And so before you knew it, in the the space of about three years, there were 20 churches along the Brazilian border that were planted in the rainforest. Then Antonio and his son began to take care of them. And all of a sudden, they were apostles. They were out there planting churches, getting people saved, delivered, healed. Do you get it? Do what the Lord presents to you in your life with no thought of self-advancement. Do it with a servant's heart. Serve in small things so habitually that the Lord will ask you to take a step forward into the next level of service until all of a sudden you'll find that you're walking in your destiny. Do you get it? But as long as you don't see God in the opportunities and the circumstances that are presented to you in your daily life, you will never possess the inheritance of your destiny in the kingdom. Do the small things. Do them habitually. 
Someone recently, I asked my, my standard question. I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you do if God would be there and you could do anything you wanted to do successfully? And he says, I want to be a worldwide healing evangelist. Shoot, I want him to be a worldwide healing evangelist too. But my question was, well, how many sick people do you pray for every week? It's where we start. If you see somebody sitting beside you who's sick and you want to be a worldwide healing evangelist, get them healed. I tell you, all you have to do is get two or three blind people healed, have their sight restored, and there'll be a line waiting to get into your garage. I promise you. Well, we've got these fantasies of what destiny in the kingdom is, and we're missing God in the daily circumstance of our life. Lord, open our eyes to see Your hand of provision and Your calling in our daily lives so that we can walk in the fullness of our destiny. All right, everybody stand up. That was it. Back talking to um, Chris Cox in the nursery. and Somehow in the conversation, the Lord just brought this to mind, reminded me of something He did in my life and... I really feel like what the Lord is saying is He's inviting us to share in His work. And and what it was, was when I was 19 years old, I was in South Africa. And um, what we were doing was with the YWAM group. And when we were there, we were staying, I was in Hillbrow, which was a really dangerous area. But part of it was the Lord had given me peace, and I wasn't a bit scared. But it was the Lord, and this is the thing the Lord wants to say is that it's Him that wants to do this stuff through you. It's Him. He wants to empower us. He wants to give us, give us what we need to do these things. And what happened was there was a girl that we met while we were there and we were going around, and she had AIDS. And um, she, what happened, she came one day and she was well actually no we went to her because we had found out that she was really 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 sick and she had this is be as quick as I can um she so they tried to take her to the hospital but the problem was she stunk so bad and she was so just she had those lesions all over her body and everything they wouldn't let her in so there was a girl on our team that was a nurse and she decided she was going to bathe her so that she could go back in and something I don't know how I got into it but and I think that in any other situation I maybe would have been scared of getting AIDS or something but something in me and I believe it was the Lord inviting me to serve with him and the Lord what he was doing was reminding me of this today because he was reminding me of what he really wants to call us to and how much he wants to give us what we need to do it and she I don't even know if she asked me or whatever I think it was one of those things I just ran in smack into and we ended up in there I ended up with her in there to bathe this girl and what I remember what the Lord reminded me of was I felt privileged but what it was was it was the Lord in me he gave me this heart of compassion for this girl and I felt no fear 
whatsoever. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that, you know, I could get AIDS or anything because she had those lesions all over the place, you know. But the Lord rose up in me and gave me compassion, and I felt privileged to work with Him and to serve and to really be able to. And you know what? That point in my life is so much... that that. I have, he was reminding me that over the times I got to preach while I was there. He was reminding me of that, and I really felt the Lord's heart. And that was what really I felt like the Lord. And what happened was then she was able to get into the hospital, and she came back later and followed us everywhere and was really filled with the Lord. And when we were leaving, she was saying, I'll see you in heaven. You know, and those but what it is is the Lord was reminding me because He was wanting me not to, when I'm here at home, forget that he, it's His power, it's His might, it's His heart He wants to give us. It's not that we have to do things at home, you know, with our children and things and try and do it on our own. You know, He wants to give us His heart and He wants to bring those situations, not just that was a big one, but it was to show me what the Lord really has is that he really wants to give us his power and his might and that when we get in those situations it's him that's going to rise up in us we're not going to have to be afraid that we wouldn't want to or something you know he's going to give us his compassion his heart and he is inviting us that's what i believe through what you are sharing is he's inviting us to share in his work you know and it's so awesome you know, it's so awesome. And in our day-to-day things, He will give us opportunities, and it won't be drudgery when we can really step into it and not ignore it and walk around it. But when we can really answer the call when He says, Come help me, you know, when we can walk through it with Him, it will be life-giving to us. It will be life-giving.